Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am the captain of the USS Big Penis. <laughs> I'm flying with my legs wrapped around the vessel. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hello, Ensign David. Hello, Captain. There's something big poking in my back. What uh, the hell? There's something big <laughs> between my legs. Something protruding. <laughs> Do you think um, new Star Trek listeners find out? <laughs> oh, these vulgar, these vulgar ruffians. Oh, who are they? All right. So today you and I are going to be breaking down Star Trek Picard, the impossible box. This episode didn't waste much time taking us right into the action. The narrative was rolled out in a manner that kept the episode tight and kept us moving forward. There were some callbacks, but not Easter eggs, Dave. Not not Easter Despite eggs. Despite the hundreds of articles that claim that everything's an Easter egg. Hey, did you see the way Picard took that extra step as he was walking into the Borg cube? That's an Easter egg. That's an because Easter he also egg. took an extra step. Uh, in episode seven of season four. Look up the definition of an Easter egg. All right. Please. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So there were some callbacks that involved technology that we had seen in Star Trek Voyager. Ooh, Apparently, awesome. it, dude, it was cool. Apparently, the Borg had assimilated the Sicarians or the Sicarians after Voyager had run into them. And we will be spending... An unnecessary amount of nerdy time picking over this element later in the show to see if it actually works within Trek canon, because it does present some questions. Yes, it was a great callback. Yes, I got a little giddy and maybe way too excited. But then the critic in me started thinking, could this actually work or does it present problems? Uh, Picard had a Picard moment. When he starts talking about the Borg not being able to change. This was something that me and you both, we both said last episode we needed. We needed to see more about Picard. Yeah. And that was probably my favorite moment from this episode. Arguably, yes. I mean, his interaction with Hugh was really good. I, I was really happy how Hugh and Picard reunited. Yeah. And their reaction to each other just blended it seamlessly from like the last time we we saw them interact with each other since TNG. Well, that introduction, the Hugh introduction this week was the introduction we should have had. We should have gotten 
in the previous episode. In the previous episode. This actually felt like the first time we saw him. But it worked. I absolutely liked it. Uh, Soji's reality comes crushing down when she realizes that she always falls asleep when she's talking with her mom. Perhaps some type of data retrieval that Maddox had implemented. They really didn't go into detail about that. Yeah, the whole Soji element in this, it's one of the mysteries that's really, for me, it's really compelling. I love it. It felt very like Lynchian, had a David Lynch vibe. Yes. Whenever you delve into dreams and the subconscious, oh man, I love that type of stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, the whole cinematography during her dream sequence with her walking down the hallway and everything, mm-hmm. I thought was awesome. I mean, visually that was really cool. For for something for for an element in Picard that basically I wasn't expecting, the whole storyline of Soji is basically coming to terms with realizing who she is is one of the mysteries that has me really compelled. And it's the thing that has been uh, dragging me throughout the story and keeping me really in uh, really uh, engaged with the storylines outside of Picard. Yeah. I mean like the, her and Narek, that just seems like thrown all together. The whole storyline between, you know, is, is he really in love with her? Is he, is he just using her emotions and trying to get to the information? I think that was answered this week. I think he does care about her. I think so, too. I think I that, mean, that, he's obviously didn't want to kill her. I mean, he's a dick nose. Let's not. He's a dick nose. Let's not get it twisted. The guy's an asshole. He's an asshole. I mean, especially if he cares for her. If he cares for her and then still he, he willingly kills her. I mean, that's he's either the world's biggest douche or he also is a true believer of what of Tal Shiar of what, what well, not Tal just Shiar the Tal believe in well, right that she's the destroyer that she's going to bring about destruction, which kind of pushes Narek into an area where I don't want to say I'm empathetic, no, but I think they can also they can it makes pushes it more him, interesting. It, he makes it more interesting and complicated. He's not just simply an evil bad dude. His sister is evil and sexy and it works <laughs> for that character. For that character, yes. But, but Narek, he's a little more complicated. He's, he's more he, conflicted and I think that's what makes him interesting because if he was just another evil person like his sister, then it'd be one dimensional and it just it, it just wouldn't feel it right. It wouldn't feel right. And this episode did a lot in making his character more dynamic for me. Yeah, I 100% agree. Now, is it wrong for me to think Soji is attractive? Is she too young for me? Is she young? How think, old is she? I don't think so. Soji, Soji, well, she's pretty hot, right? I'm trying it, to find, uh, look it up and see. Yeah, go ahead and look it up. But Soji hot. Soji hot. Soji, keyword Soji. Keyword Star Trek Picard. Keyword hot. hot. <laughs> keyword the fappening. No, that, be, no, we don't want to. We don't want to. No, don't do that. I'm just joking. I mean, she's a little too young for me anyways. I prefer my women more older, like seven, seven, seven of nine. Yeah, give me, right. yeah, yeah. Give me some maturity up in this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we're going to get into all of this. Uh, not Soji's age, but we're going to get into all the things we were talking about. But first, Dave, give me. Your initial thoughts on the episode. My initial thoughts on these this episode was there was a lot writing on this episode actually coming off of the last one. Because the last one left so many questions for me. It kind of left a, I don't want to say a bitter, uh, 
bitter taste in my mouth with how with the last episode because the last episode was okay, but yeah, one of the biggest one of the biggest things for me was from that last episode was we don't we haven't been getting enough of Picard, we haven't been getting enough of his story. This episode just doubled down on it. I love the opening. I love the callback. I love the I love the return of the whole notion of the cutest. It makes that one element of of Picard's character. It honestly is besides like the whole confrontation and his interaction with Q. Picard's connection to the Borg and Locutus is something that made Picard who who he is today. It's one of the things that makes him such a dynamic overall character. And to bring that back and show that Picard is still dealing with it. And honestly, at this point, I was like one of those fans that said, oh, he's already dealt with it. It should be long gone, right? But after this episode, it really made me think about us as trauma is trauma. Yeah, that it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to just like trauma just doesn't disappear. You bury it. <laughs> yeah, mo- most people do the unhealthy thing and bury it. And bury it. Yeah. But ma- that's what majority of people do. And if we're going to say that Picard is a human being, which he is. Is he, David? Do- that's the conspiracy. Oh I'm going to start. Yeah. I'm going to post an article about that. <laughs> How Picard's not human. Ten reasons why Picard's probably not human. He, he's a hologram. <laughs> Everyone's a hologram. He's now. just a Sith. <laughs> Sith. The real, the real mystery is that Nemesis, everyone died and they recreated them uh, as robots. <laughs> as robots. It wasn't just Data that died. <laughs> Prove me wrong. But like that whole, the whole storyline and his... His history with the Borg, I'm glad that they did. They brought it right back, and they showed that basically, Picard is still scarred. He's a human being. He's going to have trauma. That type of trauma just doesn't go away. And I kind of kicked myself in the butt as a Star Trek fan, thinking that it would have. Especially, I didn't think it would. uh, Especially, you know, like watching all of uh, as much Star Trek as I have. And seeing the amount of times Picard has come into contact with the Borg and see how he does. I mean, nothing's changed. Nothing's Dave. Changed. I mean, I mean, the Borg, he's still, why wouldn't he hate the Borg? I mean, essentially it's a, they took I mean, life. it's an allegory for violation. You're, yeah. you're, you're being violated. Your freedom, your thoughts are being taken from you. You're not going to get over that. That's a violation. So it would make sense that Picard may not think about it every single day, but the moment is it is brought back to him and, and it's put in front of his face, he's he's going to be thrown back to that, that violation, the time when his his body was taken from him. And, and I dig the moments that when he was uh, bringing Picard around and trying to show him, hey, this is the reclamation project project that we're working on. It's not as bad as people think. We're trying to bring these people back from being bored, just like. What happened with you? Well, I have a question. Okay, so these people were troopers because these ex-Borgs were, you know, were being healed. They were, their eyes were being taken out and their arms were being removed. I mean, it looked like a scene from, you know, a horror film. Yeah. Uh, but no one, not one of them asked Seven and Nine to put a a phaser to their gut and pull the trigger. I, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, and as I said, I, I think each chap is just a bitch. 
Ishem wanted to like kill himself. I can't take him. Look, look, look at all these troopers. Look at them. Look at the person that basically. This but, guy has no face, and he that wants guy to have no face. <laughs> and uh, but part of that that I really enjoyed though was like watching Patrick Stewart playing Picard actually reacting to all the Borg. It was really cool because you could tell that they're trying to push the thing that Picard's never going to get over this. Right. He's We're never going to get over that trauma. Yeah. yeah. So, so your initial thoughts, positive, positive, very um, positive. Yeah. All right. I like it. So let's get started officially. Uh, the synopsis for this episode, Picard and the crew track Soji to the Borg cube in Romulan space, resurfacing haunting memories for Picard. Meanwhile, Narek, the dick knows, believes he finally <laughs> found a way to safely exploit Soji for information. This episode was directed by Maha Vervelo and written by Nick Zehas. We took just enough time in this episode to delve into the main characters. This is the type of episode I like. I like that no one was forgotten. Yes. Our main players were all touched on. We didn't waste too much time on just one person because the focus of this series should be Picard. And Picard was the focus, but that doesn't mean the writer didn't take the appropriate time to also give us a little bit on everyone else. Everyone else. Yeah. Some of which explained a few things and some that felt oddly out of place, uh, which leads me to believe that it was purposely done. Uh, for example, the Rios and Agnes moment, although good, it felt a bit odd for it not to mean something bigger. And not the, the lack of chemistry, because the chemistry was fine between the actors. It's the fact that it came out of left field. Absolutely, yes. We're in the middle of trying to investigate the conspiracy of the, what, the Conclave of Eight? Conclave of Eight. And the, the Borg Cube and Soji and what's going on. And then suddenly we have this odd relationship form. I mean... And right after, right after she just killed a man she supposedly loved. Right. Now, is this Rios trying to get close to her because he knows something is amiss? Uh, he says to Agnes, the two of you were close, meaning Maddox, and then they have their moment. <laughs> Agnes's motivation, I don't think necessarily needs an explanation. Her attempt to relieve herself from guilt or distract herself works just fine with what we know of her character. Rios though comes off as way too smart to just fall in with her the way he did. It yes. doesn't quite add up to what we know of him at this point. He doesn't seem oblivious. He's a thinker. He's a thinker, especially when you take it into contrast to how he treated Rafi. Because right. the, 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 about the second or third time I watched it, him and Agnes, it more or less felt like Rios was trying to feel her out. But when it was him and Rafi, when you have that personal moment, you see basically him not on guard. He's actually listening to her just like a friend would. And you you get that sense that he's – they put those two moments in there to show the parallel that – I'm, I'm like you after the contrast, the difference, the contrast, the yeah, difference. I would agree with that. If you, after the third time I watched it, I began realizing Rios is acting differently in kind of a similar situation. You know, you have a person who is 
visibly and mentally distraught and you're trying to gauge what's going on and one's a, now, a supposed close friend of yours. Right. Granted, one's obviously platonic and they've known each other for many, many years. And that could be simply the difference right there. However, I do agree with you. The way they place those scenes, the way they place the scenes, it, it just feels like Rios knows something. I'm not saying he knows exactly what Agnes has done, but I don't think he looks at her and says, you know what? Everything's on the up and up. Yeah. Especially when you, if you pay very careful attention, he was watching her when she seemed disappointed that she would not be able to get on the board cube. He even questioned her about it vocally when he realized how she was acting about it. So, I mean, we're, we shall see. We shall see. We know Agnes is going to have to eventually pay the price for what she did, even if, if Maddox was naive and Agnes knows better. It doesn't justify the brutal murder. Yeah. The brutal murder. She's not going to get away with it. And honestly, the the whole Agnes's story at this point for me is the mystery behind behind her. It's what what did she mean? The, the whole mystery of her saying, I know something that basically no one else does. Well, yeah, she knows whatever the Romulans think they know. Yes. So, and honestly, if it's big enough to actually make her kill someone that she knows. Yeah, I just. That's big. I need to know why we're watching her at yes. this point. Because that's she, the mystery. if you remove her from the story, we don't lose anything. We absolutely lose nothing because we already know there's a mystery. If Commodore O is willing to, again, potentially, at least that's what it seems like, uh, she's willing to throw away her her Federation high ground, right? Because of whatever she thinks these synths represent or could mean. And the Romulans are willing to track down these beings. And that there's a potential Federation and Romulan conspiracy. Then we, as an audience, we already get it. We get it. We know it. We know something big is out is in play here and and there could be a potential risk for all of humanity that soji and and dodge are the harbingers of death we we understand that and if you remove agnes we still understand that so i'm wondering why are we watching her at this point why do we need her to remind us of what's at what's potentially at risk yeah so she's the only character and i do like her because the actress is great but He's the only character that I find hard to follow because follow, I just yes. after her killing Maddox, I'm just like, all right, what are you here for? What are you here for? Like you're, every character has to have a point in the story and she really doesn't reveal much. Of, of anything. Yeah, really. She doesn't really reveal much. Yeah. We, we, we already know what's at risk potentially. So it will be interesting to see how her story unfolds unfolds and whether or not it justifies her even being here so Narek pushes soji to remember her dreams to unlock the puzzle that was actually kind of cool i liked actually that insight of the romulan culture that way oh yeah we've never we've been never seen we've never like been in this territory dave at least i don't believe so no i don't i i'm almost positive I, as i've said numerous shows now the Romulans have been completely unused for the most part. They were kind of one dimensional villains. The Cardassians were even used in TNG as more um, 
dimensional villains. And the Klingons, obviously, we know about them, but the Romulans have never really been something we truly explored. Sure, the Tal Shiar was a big part of TNG at moments and, of course, in Deep Space Nine. But it almost felt like we only saw a, a facade. We saw just the, the, the tip of what they are. We've never actually delved into their planet, their structure, their politics, their people, their belief structure, their religion, the idea that their real name isn't known to everyone. I mean, those things are cool. And I don't remember that in Star Trek before. I think that is a new element, right? I believe so. Because the real I'm name. At, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the memory alpha for the, what, what's called the Zak, Zal or Zalmach. Uh-huh. which is the uh, form of meditation practiced by Romulans. Yeah. And the, in, in the memory alpha, they only say that it shows up in this episode. This yeah. is the first time we've seen it. Yeah. There's new things. And that is one of the greatest things about Picard so far, the Picard series, is that we're delving into the Romulan species. I love it. I think it's great. Um, and the part with Narek this week, pushing Soji to remember her dreams I like this bit a lot. <laughs> this was cool. There were some Shakespearean vibes there with Narek possibly falling in love with Soji, the enemy, a.k.a. the destroyer, and knowing he must kill her on top of betraying her in a very intimate way. I mean, I like that Narek was not just simply evil. When he walked away and left her in the room to die, it was not a pleasant experience for him either. No. So he now becomes more complicated a better character that we can now follow someone more interesting and it is very it's shakespearean tragedy hey i fell in love with the enemy i know that she is a risk to my own people and i'm gonna betray her in the most intimate of ways and i I like that's fucked and i like that that they pushed it because at first, when I first viewed this i thought it was like kind of heavy-handed oh you have to know the real name Romulans don't give their real name, blah, 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 blah. They're a very secretive uh, He, he needed her to trust him. He needed her to trust him. That was the ultimate goal. It's and such a like betrayal. A, it, it leads to a really cool, intimate betrayal. Mm-hmm. And while... I at, felt bad. I, if it had not gone down like that... I think it would It would have had the same feeling. Because yes. I actually felt so bad for her when he threw her to the ground and just, all right, I got what I needed from you. I'm out of here. I'm leaving you to die. I'm like, that is messed up. And the way she was confused, especially on top of the fact that she's confused with who she is and her identity and what she really is and what her the truth behind her origins. And then on top of that, the guy that she felt she can trust and love doesn't love her. And was using her. I mean, that is a defining moment for a character. And now move is a Soji. I didn't really care about Dodge. I cared about a bit. Yeah. Dodge. I cared about Soji was just kind of like, okay, whatever. And now moving forward, I think we have room. We have what? Three episodes left for the first season. Yes. Now, after that moment, now she's interesting. Yeah, And everything relies on how they handle her character moving forward, whether or not we're going to remember this character as a great Trek character. Yeah. But that moment, 
that's a defining moment for a character. This, this, yeah, this episode was definitely a defining moment for because it was really cool watching them break this character this episode. That's what they were doing. Yeah. Especially when you find out one of the biggest reveals to me that I'm like going was finding out her real age because like. Oh, snap. What's her real age? (laughs) The fact of the matter is she's only three months old. Oh, come on, David. Why you got to ruin it for me? (laughs) Three months old. Yep. She's she's very young for you, Mike. Very, very young. Computer in program. (laughs) Computer in program. Clean up my pants, please. Oh, come on. But like when that happened, I know a lot of people have been glossing it over. If she's only three months old, that means Data has nothing to do with it. Well, no, I disagree. If she is three months old from her actual actual birth when she was brought online, okay. Yeah. But that doesn't mean Data didn't play some hand in the creation. I'm sure Data's, you know, something of Data was used to create her. I I agree with that. But the fact that she's only three months old means that this has been going on and and on top of that that this this whole conspiracy of the synths has been going on for at least like what 10 years 10 yeah. 15 years there's more of them out there well yeah for <laughs> sure and we'll get into that in a moment um something else staying with the romulan aspect here and soji something else came from this we heard more allusions to their being oh, we're going to get into it right now actually we heard more allusions to there being more synthetics. Yes. And we had heard that, I want to say a couple episodes ago as well, I believe. Uh, remembering, now, this all adds up, because remembering the book from Asimov. Okay, you remember that? Now, that's an Easter egg. Yes, that was an, an Easter, Easter egg. egg is a hidden object, whether it's visual, auditorial, that conveys a message so the asimov book that now could be an easter egg yes as we had talked about a couple episodes ago we could be dealing with a story about new life true artificial life that has evolved into being truly conscious yes the dream situation in the episode could have been a way to substantiate that because of where it took the conversation, the question of Soji's uh, sentience having a subconscious. We are going in that direction, Dave. I have a feeling that there's going to be a planet of synthetic life. And and the most weirdest part that dawned on me after the third time I watched this episode, it made me start thinking, all right, we've been talking for the whole series. We've been talking about synth life. And how the Tal Shiar hates synth life. Why would the Tal Shiar or the Romulans be so against the synth life? And then I thought about it. All right. In all of Star Trek lore, what hap- uh, is there any anything that comes to mind about any negatives about synth life? And the funny part is that there's only four major times that I can think of where synth life has affected like the universe of Star Trek in negative ways. One was the Borg. That's an easy, that's a giveaway. The, the, the Borg's an easy one. That's an easy, like, thing to say, oh, synth life as a negative, right? Then you have uh, V'ger. 
V'ger was the one that basically from motion picture. Remember Spock makes the comment about how he, he realized that V'ger came from a, a universe where there was nothing but synth life. Mm-hmm. Would they make a callback to that? I, who knows? I mean, sky's the limit, but I feel like there's something deeper and philosophical going on there R- is. rather than, <laughs> rather than connecting to past things we've seen in Trek, which they very well could. And, I and really, they probably will. You're probably right, Dave, but I really think Shaiban's going to like give us, I hope he gives us something mind blowing. Well, the story of iRobot is very philosophical. It is. Like what defines life and, and how do new life break free from their masters, their enslavers, you know, and that's essentially the story we're being told here. You, you have these people that would seem to be, if we're going in this direction, they're fighting to live. Soji is literally, literally fighting to live at this point. That's why at this moment in this episode, she becomes interesting because now before she was a pawn, she was being manipulated. Now she's fighting to survive and that's her new story and they had even mentioned in this episode i believe it was Narek's sister hadi mcgee romulan <laughs> she had said that uh, she alluded to the fact of finding the location where they are at they the are rest at. of them yes the rest of them so it, it seems like we are dealing with a group of evolved artificial life possibly the very legacy of dr soong i mean there's a reason why maddox brought up dr soong in the previous episode, when he said, we have done it, Dr. Soon, myself, and you, when he was talking to Agnes. For all we know, there's a planet of artificial life that was made possible through data. And of course, Dr. Soon. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But yes, I think at the heart of the story, we're dealing with a true Star Trek story. A true Star Trek story is always tied together by a philosophical thought. And that's what we're doing. And that's why the more episodes we see, yes, I have my issues with some of the pacing and and how we're getting certain places. But overall, the first season of Picard so far shows Shabon's understanding of Trek. Yeah, I would agree. And I think this episode really fleshed that out. And it needed to because we're moving into episode seven with three episodes left. With only three episodes left. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Patrick Stewart's performance this week as Picard. Uh, This is what we've been waiting for, Dave. Oh, yeah. Uh, These moments of passion, Picard's conviction and beliefs. This is how this character behaves. This isn't a surprise. This is how he behaves, especially when you place something in front of him that triggers Picard. Essentially, he's always been like this. It's the most consistent part of his characterization, the personal hate he harbors for the Borg. Obviously due to the violation of a Borg assimilation and what he equates to. It's, I mean, it's his one pain that he can't let go of. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the obviously, like you had mentioned, the PTSD aspect from the Borg assimilation is something he's struggled with ever since it happened. So I, I love it. There's really not much more we can flesh out pertaining to that. But it was a great moment to see how affected he truly is still, even 15 years later. And it's, a, it's just a wonderful 
message as well about PTSD and yeah. and and trauma that it something that you don't it's something that you don't quite always get over and possibly it may be the very motivational factor that keeps Picard on the straight and narrow why he cares so much about Romulans oh, because yeah. of what happened to him what happened? and it helps him deal with it he's unable to fix himself completely so perhaps I can help others so it was good it was powerful it was all Picard 100% oh absolutely I mean like that like I like I said, like the 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 cinematography in this episode, it, there's so many points that I really liked. And one of the one of the those points was actually in the very beginning, where you have that, like, that one shot where they go around the, his desk and they literally picture perfect overlay ma- overlay his picture with yeah. the picture on his screen, which is Locutus. Yeah, and you just see Picard just reach up and almost think like that. That attachment, that the, those, the that thing that's still the implants, uh, the implants that yeah. were on him as a Borg were still there, and he could still. It's almost like he could still feel them, and it it just that little hint right there, hints at PTSD, which made, which is one of the things that. After I saw that, I'm like going, okay. I understand now why Picard can't let this go, and it and. Honestly, he'll never let it go. There's nothing that could heal that. Yeah. Because just like what you said, it's about what Picard went through is about a violation. It's a violation of who, of what he did. And that type of trauma doesn't go away. Just like what we said. Yeah. So I thought it was brilliantly done. Yeah, it was good. Um, Okay. So you mentioned Locutus, you know, Picard's Borg name, Locutus. Now, is is there something to that moment in the episode where one of the, I'm assuming the ex-Borgs, the ex-Bs, actually hollered out to look cutis? Yes. Okay, there's got to be a reason for that, right? You, you don't just, in the middle of them trying to escape, look cutis! Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that was bizarre. I think it was bizarre, but it was also, I think for me, just prior to this episode, or just in regards to this episode, I think it's just to reinforce the fact that Locutus is something that will never leave Picard. So you think it had more of a, a narrative uh, or not a narrative. You had more, you think it had more to do with character. I think it has to deal with an actual narrative. Yeah. Okay. Because I think it has to deal with more character because I'll be honest, just like what I said before this episode, I thought the whole thing with the Borg and him was done. He dealt with it. He's fine. He that that should never David, come up. If a part of your arm was ripped off and your eye was taken, would you be over it? David? Exactly. And then when I when I take a step back, I realize that the only reason why I think it's done is because I think like a Star Trek fan. Yeah. You know, because like we already saw him go through this. He yeah. should be done by now. Right. And he should be fixed. So you think the Locutus thing was just the to drive Locutus home thing that was point. just a, a, for me, just for like a character purpose, just to reinforce the fact that he's still Locutus to all the people that were connected to the hive. Yeah. They know him as Locutus. Okay. They don't know him as I, I'll buy that. I'll buy what you're selling, Dave. All right. So Hugh's proper introduction was great. Oh, I really like awesome. seeing his emotional connection with Picard and then to see Picard learn from Hugh, which was a great moment. And yes. to see the experience of others that have undergone assimilations. It was one of the first true character building moments we've had all season for Picard. And that's not a negative. 
But we so far we have learned about Picard, where he's been at, what he has done, where his mind is at, his mindset, right? But a true character building moment where you are put into a position to rethink a way of thought or are spurred into action mentally, cerebrally. This is it. The moment he's talking to Hugh and he realizes perhaps the Borg can change, not the Borg as we know it, the collective, but that doesn't mean these people are not without their own wants. And hey, just like he wasn't lost, it doesn't mean all of these individuals are lost as well. Exactly. These I mean, people can still be saved. These people can still be saved. It was a learning moment for Picard and it was powerful. And I do think that's probably the single greatest character building moment we've had all season for Picard. Oh, absolutely. I think that I tried to take myself as a TNG fan out of it, but I thought that this episode was so great for Picard. I think it's so more, so much more gratifying than any other moment he's had where he's had to fight the yeah. Borg. Yep. And like to put Hugh there, when you think about it as a TNG person, the last time we Picard saw Hugh was Hugh proved to, to Picard that resistance is not futile. And like, that was the whole big thing in that episode. And suddenly he sees Hugh again and Hugh is basically the one to pick Picard back up and say, no, we can all get back. It, it goes with that character yeah. still that he never gives up. Yeah. Well, he basically it, says we can still come back from this. It's okay. Well, that, that m moment justifies why you bring back a character like Hugh. Yes. Now, suddenly it makes sense. Now, now makes if sense. we can make that connection with seven, because I know they had tried to do the whole humanity question which for me as a Star Trek fan didn't quite work as a fan of television. It does work. It does. work. So I'm a little conflicted, but the Hugh moment has been fantastic. Oh, the Hugh moment for me is much more powerful than the seven of nine. And you know me, I was re I'm a big seven of nine. Oh fan, yeah, you are. And I was really, mm. really excited to see Jerry Ryan again. Yeah. But the reemergence of Hugh as a character is so important for this moment. It affects not just the season, the series of, of, of Picard, but it, it affects the whole narrative in Star Trek as a whole. As when you take a look at the whole story of Picard in 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 regards to him and the Borg, that's yeah. like that's like series spanning. That goes from TNG to the movies to even part of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, where the question of the Borg and if you can bring them back. Deep Space Nine never questioned that, did they? I uh, believe in in Voyager they did. Voyager, yeah, they they used the Borg a lot. They used the Borg a lot. I think in in Deep Space Nine, I think there was like one or two episodes. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think they kind of veered away from the Borg completely. Uh, I know except that the, for Avery Brooks's Cisco, he was his he was, his character was introduced via the Borg Wolf 359 tragedy because his tragedy. daughter or his daughter, his wife was killed during that attack, yeah. I believe. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some uber nerdy territory and let's talk about the Sicarians and the use of the spatial projector that was used at the end of the episode that allowed Picard and Soji to escape. It was an awesome callback. As a Star Trek fan, it made me uh, a bit giddy, but perhaps 
objectively a bit unnecessary as it is one of those moments that can create complicated questions. Now, bear with me, okay? It could create complicated questions, David, because some of these questions can't be answered. Well, why don't you just use this transporter then? Why use a vessel to get anywhere when you have Sakarian technology that has the ability to transport people 40,000 light years in a blink of an eye? Yeah. It pretty much nullifies the reason for space travel. You want to get from point A to point B? Here you go. Here's this transporter. Now, there are things that can essentially kryptonite the tech. In Star Trek Voyager, where it was introduced, and for people that aren't in the know with Star Trek Voyager, um, the vessel essentially was, the concept for that series was, the vessel was essentially flung across the galaxy, and it landed 70, year, 70 years away from Earth. Yes. That's how long it would take for them to get home. So much of their episodes were geared around getting home, most of their seasons. Uh, they encountered the Sakarians at one point, I believe, in the first season. And to simplify, essentially, the tech could not mesh with Starfleet technology ever. It yes. was no question. It was completely incompatible. So that's the reason why we could kryptonite it when it comes to the Federation. But what about the Borg? You said to Picard, it's knowledge gained. It was knowledge gained after his time as Locutus, we're assuming. Yes. If the Borg now have the technology to jump 40,000 light years and you combine this with their trans warp tech, it would make them pretty unstoppable <laughs> as an enemy villain. They literally could just basically teleport right there and just start simulating people. Not right to mention there. their ability to time travel, which also, if you listen closely, and I had to pull this from a site because I did not know this. Uh, one of our listeners uh, DM'd me about this and asked me what I thought about it. Um, apparently, there's a scene in those last moments that's barely audible when Picard and Hugh are going into Soji's room. A voice on the loudspeaker says various areas have been isolated due to increased chronometric activity. Now, that's something the Borg used these particles to travel through time in yes. first contact. So is time travel happening now as well? So there's a lot of fucking shit going on. The, so they got to calm down. They got to calm down because time travel. Now you have this Sakarian technology. It makes me as a Star Trek fan get really giddy, but we need to be careful with these types of things because 40,000 light year tech, tech to have tech. There's a reason why Voyager gimped it there's a reason why it didn't fit with federation technology because the show would be over like, <laughs> it's like all right first season we're back home now what you have to be careful you and be careful. i'll be honest that makes me appreciate shaban and the writer of this episode that they're getting really nerdy with the star trek stuff i love it but they're being very safe but, with it. well yes well are they being safe you have to be careful because it does present questions yeah i think that that's why it was smart that they had hugh say that they use the sakarian technology in kate uh, uh, just for the queen cell okay but what about the okay just for the queen cell what about the romulans now do the romulans know of this or is this only Hugh? is he keeping this a secret because the romulans know of this technology it's game over yeah because hugh we know that hugh's been keeping this a secret because he said that this cell has been he said that we have to uh, no one's known about this 
section of the cube uh, till now because it's it's the queen cell. It's the it's the most secret area yeah. for all of Borg. Well, hopefully, it's so secret that no one will ever get to it because it does present questions. It even presents questions with uh, well, that's why I think with I, first contact because people were saying, well, now that makes sense. How you know the Borg queen can get from one place to the other? And I'm like, well, no, because first contact I believe took place in the year 23, I want to say 2363. Yeah. And then the episode of Voyager where the Sicarians uh, met with, with um, Voyager happened in 2371. And in order for this to be, to make sense logically. And David, this is why I said I'm getting really uber nerdy here because this is very uber nerdy, but in order for this to make sense logically, the Sicarians would have had to have been assimilated after Voyager. Be- after Voyager, Because, yes. and, no, I'm going to go further. After 7 and 9 was broken free from the collective. Because if 7 and 9 knows of this technology, I would think logically it would have made sense for her in the show of Voyager to try to find a way to make this technology work for them. Imagine if we find out that seven knew about it, she'd be a bitch. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. That just will make her hotter. <laughs> but like, do you get what I'm saying though? I and I know, know I know absolutely. we're really being stupid right now with the Star Trek nerd knowledge, but but this, this is something th- that this is why you, when you're dealing with a show that's, like Star Trek. that has 50 years plus of canon, you have to walk on eggshells. You have Be to walk on very, eggshells. very careful. Or you uh, that's why I felt that the way that they approached it was smart. Number one, no one knew about the queen cell except for Hugh. Number two, uh, the Q, uh, Hugh made the comment that basically the only reason why the Borg used the Sicarian technology was to protect the queen in case of emergencies in case she needed to get out of the Borg cube as if that's the only time they would ever use it. Like, come on, the Borg queens and use it. Why would they ever fly anywhere? <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, they, I'm just saying. Yeah, you're just saying, but I'm also just saying <laughs> that you have to be careful with the type of stuff. You have to be careful. But I thought that for what they get for what they gave. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to like suspend belief here. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, just like what you said, I I was really impressed that they brought up this little tidbit of uh, Trek lore because oh boy, you are you're skating on thin ice, and they're trying they're showing how much of a Trek nerds they are. They are. <laughs> this would be you and I in the writing room. Yeah, I'm like, and then she uses the Sicarian technology that was uh, assimilated after Voyager left them, <laughs> and but right after seven and nine broke away, broke away. yeah <laughs> and then q pops up and snaps his fingers <laughs> Just snaps everything away that's what you would do because q is the answer if you were in the writing room dave i someone would have to just tell you on the whiteboard it's like no q david that's it just <laughs> yeah. no don't ever bring it up david you ever bring up q you're gonna sit in the corner again yeah. Aww. but he would just fix everything would he? <laughs> All right. So let's get into some tidbits and perhaps these elements could be called Easter eggs. Uh, perhaps it's still a little iffy here. Uh, but among Soji's childhood artifacts is a storage case with the Adventures of Flutter art on it, which is a callback to, to a Voyager. I guess it's a Voyager reference, you can say. Uh, the Hollow series is enjoyed by 24th century kids. Like Naomi Wildman. 
I hated Naomi Wildman. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> like, I think she later on, she develops a relationship with seven and nine. Like they become connected and she's just annoying. <laughs> remember Neelix had to like sing her to sleep. And yes. I'm, like, I'm like, go to yes. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like computer tranquilizer dart. Please. Yeah. Computer kill Naomi Wildman. <laughs> what? What? Nothing. <laughs> Why are the kids in Star Trek always so fucking dumb? I I have no idea. It's the one thing, agree. dude. It's the one thing that the I just never liked. I don't. I didn't like Wesley Crusher. I I didn't really like Jake Cisco. Even well, Nog Nog was cool in Deep Space Nine. Though I will say this: I like Jace, Jake Cisco for the reason that. Because of what it did for Cisco and the relationship they created between father and son, I liked that relationship and it was a job well done. But the character himself, I just I'm like, oh, my God, can you just become a writer and then leave, please? Because that's what he wanted to be was a writer. I'm, I'm a writer, dad. <laughs> well, I'm a prophet, son. Yeah. And I'm going to prophesize you're going to suck as a writer. <laughs> so stupid. And then, and I, you know, what? I never really liked Nog either. And I know that's, I know that's sacrilege. <laughs> I know I'm probably going to be murdered now in my sleep by in Star Trek sleep. fans. They're going to find where I live. A bunch of, a bunch of Star Trek fans are going to just, because I, people love Nog, dude. People love yeah. Nog. Yeah, I just never understood it. I, because he's one of the few young characters that we all said, okay, he's fine. He's cool. But it took a lot for people to get to like Nog. I mean, he had to lose a leg. I li- oh, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I liked his storyline. I just. Maybe it's the actor. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, even if you think about it, like not just like like even like the kids in, in Voyager with the Borg children. Some of that was kind of cringeworthy and Naomi Wallman and and Worf's son. That one too. No one talks too. about. Why do you think? Yeah, exactly. No one talks about. No that. one talks about. But Alexander. I'm like, going, um, Worf had a son. Everyone doesn't. Everybody realize this, and everyone treats it like, nah, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> off topic here, just for a second, since we're already off topic. Now you know there was an article that, um, not an article, uh, an issue of Picard, which we have not gotten back into, and we should. Apparently, Worf is the captain of the Enterprise. In the comic book. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah, let me let me let me validate that. Hold on, let me verify, I should say. Hmm. Yes, yeah, Star Trek Picard reveals new captain of the Enterprise. In the prequel comic book Star Trek Picard Countdown, fans learned the Picard uh worked with George LaFord to build the Romulan's rescue fleet. All right. They hint that they Hey, the last best hope reveals that someone to be. Yeah. Yes. Worf is now the captain of the enterprise, which is kind of interesting because I mean, he did get into command, but that's we're going way off topic here. So let me bring it back. But the reason why I bring that up, Dave, did you die over there? <laughs> the, the reason why I bring that up is because I'm wondering if we will see that at some point, if we will see or hear of it, because as we know, the comic books are not canon. However, because this is written as a way to promote the TV series, 
this is probably the closest to canon a comic book will ever get when you have these prequel tie-ins. Yeah, I think it is. And I hope they make allusions to that. I mean, like in the, in the previews for next week, we know we're going to see will, which, yeah. So you think we're going to, you think we're going to hear about it? (laughs) I think we might hear about it. Yeah. I mean, like, You'd think, okay, why did he go to Riker <laughs> and not talk about where's everybody? Yeah, so we'll, we'll get there. But all right, let's 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 get to our final thoughts, Dave. Do you want to start? Sure. My final thoughts on this episode, this was a really strong episode. It's it's definitely stronger than last week's episode, um, solely because they returned to what the show is about. It's about Picard and his ongoing struggles with, throughout his life. Because that's what I thought the series was supposed to be about. So I love the very beginning. I love the fact that they basically just doubled down on the fact that just showing the effects of PTSD and kind of actually slapping me in the face of reality and showing me that, hey, trauma doesn't go away. And for Star Trek babies out there, that don't understand that that's just how real life works. All right. So I, how, I like firing that. shots, Dave, at I Star like, Trek babies. I, yeah. I like that because there's so many, after this episode, I read so many things about how Star Trek fans were complaining about, Oh, they're forgetting about his fight with this and fight with that. And he got over to the board through this. I'm like, going, yes, at those moments he did, but trauma doesn't just leave you. It stays with you it's going to be with you for the rest of your life and you have to learn how to deal with and it. And if you're Kirk, you need your pain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but All right. So what's your percentage? Percentage on this one, I'm giving this a solid 89. A solid 89. Yeah, because and and I I do believe when I was looking back and trying to figure out my score, this is probably the highest score I've given to uh, a Picard episode. All right. All right, I will give this episode an RMD score of 84%. I enjoyed the episode. It was a strong installment, not just into the Picard series, but into Star Trek as a whole. Yeah. Uh, The whole idea that they're now delving into more of a philosophical thought. And yes, perhaps the entire show was uh, was built on that foundation, uh, artificial life. And when does an artificial life become real? Uh, these are things that we've explored in individual episodes, but something that would govern an entire season or maybe even a show we have not done. Um, and to see those ideas, you know, now now that we have the bigger picture, you can see how it did uh, take root earlier on in the season. And I'm hoping we continue with that route because that's what Star Trek's about. It's always about, you know, it, it's philosophical. Pose those questions. And uh, for me, that is more important to Star Trek than anything else. It's it's more important than many Star Trek fans idea, their narrow minded idea of uh, that Trek Trek should be about exploring life and finding new planets. And that's what every episode should be about. But at its core, it's a look into the exploration of philosophy and posing those questions. And. That's what they're doing. That's what Discovery season two did. That's what Picard season one's doing. That's what we should be doing in Star Trek. So 84%. I'm now looking forward uh, to the next episode. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Now, for those that want more Star Trek from the holodeck, more uber nerd discussions and dissections of episodes and themes and topics, head over to our Patreon page. We put out additional shows constantly uh, via our Patreon, patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital 
We do uh, some additional shows under the $5 tier every single month. But then there's also a $3 tier. That's uh, what we call behind the scenes. And within that tier, you can get pre-shows where we discuss things prior to this show here that we just did. And we do it every single episode and we get into topics that maybe we may not have time to get into during the regular show. Um, but we have some fun. It's a little more casual. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.